This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Homesdale Radio, sponsored by FanDuel.co.uk. The next generation of fantasy football. Homesdale Radio Preview Podcast, sponsored by FanDuel.co.uk. The next generation of fantasy football. Welcome to the Homesdale Radio Preview Podcast, episode 10. Yes, we are up into couple figures already and still I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm your host Terence Ford of redandbluearmy.co.uk and I am here to guide you through all that you need to know about Crystal Palace's upcoming trip to Turf Moor where we face Sean Dyche's new and improved Burnley. At my side this week I have Patrick O'Connor and Nick Philpott. I promise to not allude to them being old this week and I will deny in a court of law that they are only on the show because they are old enough to talk about our classic match our 2-0 victory over the Clarets in 1979. We also have two very special guests joining us for the Classic Match Chat. Scorer of the first goal in that game, Ian Walsh, and superstar winger, Vince Hilaire. Also joining us on the show will be Jack from Longside London to talk all things Burnley. We will be hearing your predictions and discussing whether or not it is made or break time for Alan Pardew. Before we get into it, remember to head over to holradio.net forward slash subscribe to ensure that you never miss out on my dulcet tones ever again. Every picture tells a story. Keep up to date with ours on Instagram at Homestale Radio. Right, yes. So Patrick and Nick this week is with me. Patrick, it's been it's been a while since you've been on this one. Um, now I know it's a lot to do with the clocks being moved back, so the time yep. is, is a little bit different. Um, but you know, with the election coming up next week, is is a move back to England looking uh, appealing? If Donald Trump wins, I'll see you in about two weeks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> indeed, you will. Um, and Nick, you've been uh, up to the NEC Centre today. What were you there for? Uh, it's just a boring, boring trade show. And if you, if I really did tell you what it was about, you're going to laugh and say to me, Philpott, you need to get out more. It was all about buses. <laughs> <laughs> now you wish you hadn't asked. Do you know what? <laughs> I, I, I had a look because I wanted to like have something to dig you out about. Yeah. <laughs> and I Again. saw that there was like some sort of labs thing. There was an innovation centre uh, 
some sort of engineering thing. And then I saw there was some Christmas arts and crafts. I thought that would have been a bit more your bag up there. No, unfortunately, I'm in I'm in the rubber sector, okay, and not the, not the rubber you're. <laughs> <thinking, okay? laughs> So nothing to do with nothing to do with tires and nothing to do with marital aids or obviously in the bottom drawer of your bedside cabinet. Uh, but everything else, you ain't, you ain't been involved in that rubber sector for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to move on? Oh, right, <laughs> Patrick. Um, a couple of weeks ago, you showed interest in the question uh, if you could put any player from the past in the current squad. Uh, so, what what would your answer have been to that one a couple of weeks ago? It would definitely be Kenny Sansom, um, the left back for Palace during the um, late seventies, early eighties. Well, I think he left actually. Then he didn't need to Arsenal, but um, just obviously our problem with left back have been so obvious. And obviously, Kenny was a great Palace player. Came to the youth system, went to play for England, Arsenal, etc. So we need a left back. So it would definitely be Kenny Sansom. Yeah, I think you went for Kenny Sampson as well, Nick. Was I did. Right? I did. It shows you you are a very well-read and educated man, Patrick. Cheers, <laughs> I, I know I am. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> yeah, and um, best wishes to Kenny Sampson indeed on his, um, his current plights and so on. I hope he gets better as soon as he can. Um, and Patrick, you've also um, you've missed out on the uh, getting to know you section of this part. So what was your first live Palace match? Tell our listeners. I don't like the question because I, I don't remember. Okay, quick you're backstory. Not the first, you're not the first person to say yeah, that, actually. Quick, quick backstory. My brother was a Crystal Palace ball boy during the early 70s. My dad had, you know, would go to every match, obviously. So I remember I remember going to a game between Palace and Man United with Georgie Best. So that would be 71, 72. But I don't remember if that was the first match or one of many. So honestly, I couldn't tell you the exact first match. But it was definitely early 70s. Again, it would be 71, 72 or 72, 73 when Palace were in the old first division. So what's the first one you remember then? Hmm, wow. I remember Rashid Hulkook scoring a goal. So it must have been, honestly, that was probably, Nick helped me out, 74, 75 maybe? It wasn't. And do you know how weird that is, Patrick? Because I googled Rashid Hulkook only last week. And he's he's out in Morocco or something. Is it? Working with his family. How weird that you mentioned him. Yeah, I was actually standing in the homes there. It was very empty that day on on the stone concrete with the, with those uh, metal railings, <laughs> but it was pretty empty. But yeah, it was definitely uh, a Rashid Harkou goal. So again, that's probably 74, 75. I went by myself. I was about eight, nine years old. So yeah. Having a look at that, it's probably, was he there after that or before that? It's probably a little bit before, mate. I, th- I think it was before that, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you've got um, 72, 73. Do you know that, have I ever mentioned that's a whole 10 years before I was born, Patrick? You just did. i'm proud of being old i don't it doesn't bother me it really doesn't but i appreciate you bringing up to nick all the time but it doesn't bother me at all elder (laughs) statesman is what you are mate okay just don't just don't let him forget it okay wisdom comes with age and that's why we love having you guys on so what what about your favorite all-time palace player the aforementioned um kenny sansom again um i don't want to put a little tease out there um you know, we're going to have Ian Walsh on later on. And um, I was lucky enough to see that entire Palace team come through the youth system. Back then, Nick would remember this, they would let you in for free to the youth games. And they play a lot of them at Crystal Palace. So mm-hmm. Palace won the Youth Cup 77, 78, and a year before, 76, 77. They won it two years in a row. So I saw David Fry, Billy Gilbert, Peter Nicholas, Jerry Murphy, Vince Dallaire, Kenny Sansom, 
Ian Walsh all come to the youth team and go and, may, and play for the first team. So, um, Kenny, I, I, when I first started playing, just got, I was a left-back, so left-back my favourite position. So I actually progressed from left-back in England. You'll go left-back to left midfield to left wing. So my first player was left-back. So I love I loved watching Kenny Sanson play. He was a brilliant player. Second player, player would have been Vince Allaire, obviously. Vince Allaire was a classy player, but I didn't have the skill of Vince Allaire, so I was more of a Kenny Sanson kind of player anyway. Terence, can I ask him a, subs- uh, a, a subsequent question on that? You, you, mentioned the F- you, you mentioned the FA Cup Youth Cup finals. Now, I went to one of those. Was it a Highbury? Yep, that was the one that um, Terry Fenning actually. Terry Fenning scored in both the finals. We won both of them one nil. Yes, yep, it was a hybrid. So that was the 76-77 final, I believe. And I was there, that standing on the north bank that day. I remember it go. well. There you go. You are old. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> That's wow. brilliant. I wish, I wish I could have gone. And just for confirmation, it's seventy-seven, seventy-eight season was when Harcook started playing. So um... no, it wasn't that late, was it? Yeah, was it, really it was. Like, was it? No, but then I, I, I remember matches before then, because I was, I definitely remember games way before that, that season. That was the, the old Division Three, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely. That was when I was going by myself. So I went to my dad way before then. So, so just don't remember when. Seventy-seven, seventy-eight. We were in Division Two by then. So you. Yeah, we got, we got, we got promoted. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And all right. So then we end with favorite goal. That's a tough one because it used to be the Darren Ambrose goal that Nick mentioned his friend um, is in that picture of. from uh, yeah. uh, But now, having flown over last year and seen that punching goal and a feeling that when that goal went in and just think we might actually win the FA Cup when I was actually there, that's my favourite goal of all time right now, the punching goal from the final last year. Yeah, to be there and see it, it was ridiculous. It was such a feeling. It was just ridiculous. It certainly was. in the um, On the preview podcast, that didn't record a couple of weeks ago, Ben um, and our trialist we had on that day, James, both both said the same thing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just for that the few minutes that it gave us was just it, it was uh, it's amazing. I mean, I I really, really looked through the heavens, looked through the hole in and Wembley, said, "Please God, please." And <laughs> you know, you know that feeling you have, you were gonna actually win this. It was such a the feeling for that whatever it was three minutes before um Matt tied the match was unbelievable. It was the best feeling of one of the best things of my entire life. It really was. It was yeah, brilliant. I, gen- I genuinely. Brilliant thought like I just I couldn't see them scoring and I'd written before the game <laughs> saying that like if we if we take the lead yeah. I can't see them getting back into it and we just I don't know you know I think it's a big game there wasn't enough big game experience in our team to nah, actually deal, deal with it I think but no. <sighs> anyway we'll, <laughs> we'll move on for that on to far, far more rosier <laughs> topics so um obviously we've got Burnley coming up this weekend and that's followed by some fairly difficult fixtures, uh, to say the least. We've got Man City, Man United, Chelsea in there, all coming to Selhurst, uh, Southampton. We've got some really, really tough games coming up. So, Nick, is this is this make or break time for Pardew over this next few weeks, talking Burnley away and Swansea away? Are these games where if he doesn't get results, he's going to be in trouble? The bottom line is he's simply got to pick up something at uh, Swansea. He's got to pick something up at Hull and he's got to pick something up at Burnley. And if he doesn't get anything at Burnley at the weekend, I think he's got a problem. Uh, I think he's got a problem. We, we talked about it on the main show on Sunday night. Um, who do I think that, uh, could come in? And I said, quite honestly, I haven't got a name that I could say, hand up, bring, bring so-and-so in. Until today... Something happened last night, boys, and I'd just like your opinion on this. Yeah, uh, I know AC, AC Milan last right. night sacked Frank De Boer. Yeah. 
Inter Milan. Sorry, I, I beg your pardon, Inter Milan. My, my, my apologies. And I think he would be a possible candidate. Your thoughts, guys? Um, I think it's very, very dangerous putting a guy with no Premier League experience into the Premier League at our end of the table. And I say our end of the table and mean the bottom end of the table because, you know, that's where we're competing at the moment. And I think it's very, very dangerous. It's a lot easier for managers to come in at the top end of the table and deploy the talent they have and be able to get uh, their playing style that they want over. But, you know, Frank De Boer is likely to come in and, you know, have no experience in the league, not know how to pick up results, want to play a certain brand of football that might not necessarily fit into the Premier League. And it could be worrying. I don't know what you think, Patrick. Yeah, um, interesting, Nick. I, I had that same feeling, but I'm, I'm much more towards what Terence is saying. Um, in the past, I know we've looked at foreign managers. I know that when Holloway was fired, we were looking at um, the Middlesbrough manager now um, as a possible um, option. Oh, and I just, I, I, right, Karenka. And I just think that down the line, we're going to have a foreign manager. I think it's just an evolution of the, of the way the, the game is going. But I'm with Terence. I think to put him in that position now, um, even though he'll have a transfer window coming up, the window in, in, in January is never a great window. It's hard to get the players you want to get. And, the, and, Nick, and as Terence said, changing the style of football now is so difficult. We're at the wrong, wrong end of the table. That would have been a perfect move during the summertime. But now I'd be wary of it. But I'm with you, Nick. I don't think there is. I, I'm really worried about how what we're doing now and uh, the party situation. I think it's, it's tenuous. But I really do think that the, he's got the backing of, of the board right now, and I don't think there's any way we'll get rid of him, barring some really awful results over the next two, three weeks. Yeah, I'm sure Josh Harris at uh, will probably all a bit annoyed that Bob Bradley jumped so early to Swansea. But there's always Jurgen Klinsmann, right, Patrick? Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> Let me tell you something real quick. If you think that, if anybody doesn't like Alan Fardu, wait till you see Jurgen Klinsmann's tactics, mate. I'll tell you right now, he's absolutely. Not very good. I'll, I'll, I'll use nice words. I don't think he's got a tactical brain in his whole head. He was a great player, but tactically, he's, the brain behind that team at Germany was the man who runs it now, Joachim Love. He didn't have a clue what he was doing. Mm. Trust me. Right, so are we, are we still with Pardew? Yeah, I'll go first. For now, I definitely am. My, my thought process is we give him till Christmas, okay? Uh, if we're in the bottom three at Christmas, is a dead man walking? Mm. I don't, know, I don't think there's anything, any doubts about that. Because um, do you give him another transfer window then if we're in the bottom three? Uh, it, we're at this stage now where he's been backed with the money, where yep. he's been allowed yep. to buy the players that he wants to implement his style of play with. And if the results don't start coming, people aren't going to stand for it anymore. There's a, a little bit of difference between going from December to April and only winning a couple of times with the injuries that we had in the squad we had and the distraction of the FA Cup run. But to now go from August to December and end up in the bottom three after spending £32 million on one player and £12 millions here and there, bearing in mind, you know, in my mind, our record signing still Valerian Ishmael for £2.7 million. <laughs> this, this, this is ridiculous money we're talking. So he's been backed. So I don't think well, there's any doubt that we're, if we're in the bottom three. Terence, let, let, let me play devil's advocate a little bit, if you don't mind. Just factor in, and I know the board have got to factor in, that for the last five weeks, six weeks, we've had 50% of our first team back four out injured. Dan's been out, and obviously Papa's still out, and he will be out until further notice. So that's half of our first team back line are out. So trying to be a bit fair here. I mean, 
he needs that's the mistake he made in the summer he didn't bring in enough quality in the back line and we, as you know as we know now uh tompkins isn't necessarily that that quality yeah and i think my my argument my counter argument to that would be we all knew that we were a fu- at least a full back short everybody knew that we was and there was no addressing of it and now we are, we are in this scenario and it's really weird i feel like i put some sort of kibosh onto Pat Soiree. I, I wrote an article at the beginning of the season after the transfer window closed talking about our squad depth from what there is and I randomly picked names out of a hat and said if these people pick up long-term injuries what do we do? Right. Pat Soiree was one of the people that came out of the hat and it was one of the worst ones to come out of the hat because all of a, all of a sudden you're looking at Martin Kelly playing consistently out of position at left back and he started to get exposed in the last couple of weeks. Now all of a sudden you're talking about Zeki Friars, who's I don't think he's ever started a Premier League game. And uh, or you're looking at moving Joe Ledley to left back where he hasn't played for at least three and a half, four years now. So I think it was a it was a massive oversight from the team, uh, which you know isn't Pardew isn't just to blame there at all. There's you know, he hasn't got he doesn't deal with all of the transfers, but there is it was certainly an oversight from the club not to bring in a fullback. So what about what about you, Patrick? Are you are you still with Pardew? Are you still behind this transition and what he's trying to do? Um I'm always behind the team. Um I've never been particularly bothered by the manager. <laughs> that, no, that I'm was serious. A politi- political no, answer. It's really not because people know who I feel. I, I've never been a big fan of his, so to keep saying that is is boring, but I've always been behind the team. So I don't know at this point. Um, I'm definitely for the transition of the playing style because I think if you look at teams like Manchester City and Arsenal and Tottenham where they play, you can't keep playing counter-attack football unless you're Leicester and be successful. So I get that part. You made a great point. We spent a lot of money in transfer window and and things haven't worked out the way it's supposed to be. So of course he's going to be. So I mean, to, for me to bang on about him, you know, getting getting the boot doesn't make any sense. But am I behind him? I've never really been a big fan of his, even when he was, wasn't was here. I know he's a, a legend for that goal, etc. But I've never been a huge fan. But I want us to do well. So I really hope he can turn it around. But you know what? It, it, this is a, this is make or break for him because it's, there aren't any... Like in the past, you've always talked about the roller coaster, Terence, and how he'll find that little soft spot and get these wins. Short of Burnley, Swansea, the rest of the teams he's got to beat in order to stick around are not, are not easy so you're going to have to pull out some really big wins and he did it before when he first got here remember we beat Man City we beat Tottenham so he's got it in his locker to, to pull it out but with the way we play right now and the injuries etc we're going to have a, we have a bit of a problem yeah. I'm going I'm to just jump in there if I can there will be one advantage of course if he does go um, because <laughs> Terence and I call him Pardew, okay, and our, <laughs> our American friend over there, you don't ever have to hear the word Pardew again. I don't even know how to say his name. That's why I thought I'd just say the Pardew. manager. <laughs> <laughs> the manager. <laughs> what about pa- Pards? Pards works, doesn't it? Pards yeah, does work. It just sounds yeah, like I'm we'll too familiar. Pards, yeah. <laughs> well, let's, let's get into um, the actual the, the fixture. So... I feel like a broken record on this part of the show. Is, <laughs> does Martin Kelly still start, Nick? Yep. <laughs> He's going to have That's to, because, a... simply because uh, Zeki ain't there yet, is he? Let's be honest here. I mean, again, a, a very valid point was brought up on the main show the other day, that if you do leave him in there, that's four right-sided uh, defenders playing in, in our team. 
um, and that's where that's where the issue was. Uh, the one thing that's going to have to happen is Zaha is going to have to get his finger out a little bit and come back and track back and help out a little bit better than he has done, albeit he's better than he used to do. Okay, but he's going to have to do it more. Otherwise, like I can see us coming away from there empty-handed. Yeah, he certainly is a lot better at doing it. He's, his defensive numbers are up year on year, um, as are his attacking numbers. So he's definitely becoming a bit more of a complete player, Zaha. I just still absolutely cannot believe that the Emre Chan challenge wasn't given as a penalty on him in the Liverpool game. Um, so, Patrick, <laughs> the you, you like to analyse games and look at the tactics and so on. That hole in between Tompkins and Dan that I could have probably drove a bus down for the Firmino goal. Was that just Liverpool's exceptional movement or have we got to worry a bit about their partnership there? No, I'm worried about the partnership more than... The, I mean, listen, we all know how well that, that foursome works and how well they move the ball under the club style, but I think there's an, there's an issue there. And I mentioned on the show uh, with, with Nick and Alex on Sunday that I'm worried about the communication between Dan and Tompkins. Not just that they ha- they don't they haven't played together, obviously they haven't, but also I just don't think among the two of them, one, not, one's got to be like a take-charge leader. And I like Dan as a football, footballer, he's brilliant. But I don't think he's, a, he's that really, you know, yell, scream during the match. After the plays happen, you'll always see him talking to a player about things that happen, but he's not really a take-charge like, for instance, Damo is. So I, I'm, I'm concerned about that hole. And if you don't have a Jednak there, because he's at Villa now to kind of help you out, it's an issue. So, yeah, I'm, I'm worried about that. But just to, going back to what you said about um, left-back, I would actually take um, Kelly out. I think it's a perfect situation to put Spires in because if you look at the Burnley lineup, I think this kind of a team, you can't throw him in against a Man City. It's a perfect time to see if he can actually play. If he can't play, then you can always put Kelly back. But if he can play, this is where you put him in, Burnley. Or, or you, you leave him in there and take Tompkins out and uh, put um, Damo back in. I'm actually for putting both of them back. We'll get to that later on, maybe, or even now. I think we should put them both back for that balance. They're both left-footed, and I think Damo and Dan have proven to be a little bit more sturdy than Dan and Tompkins. I'd actually put Friars in there and have that back four with, with Ward at right back. But that also gives you the voice at the back that you just talked about, Patrick, with uh, Damo exactly. there. Cause he... Exactly. And I think that um, really helps us in, in many different ways. I think a big problem would have been, though, so you look at... Um you talk about bringing Damo back in. You look at the Liverpool game and twice um, Sadio Mane got away and Tompkins managed to keep up with him and yes, do enough to speed. prevent him from scoring. And if you if, if that's Damien Delaney, Liverpool's probably score another two goals in that game. So, But then, arguably, Damo in the middle stops those two corners going in because he's very good at defending corners in the air. So <laughs> It's tricky. You know, you're right, Terrence. It's very tricky. And look how good he was when, he, when we dropped him last time for half a game. <laughs> You're right. He was pretty, pretty upset when he came back and did it. Really did he well. ever? There you go. Yeah. Right, moving into the midfield. Um, we've got Punch and, well, I guess we've got everyone available now, uh, including Ch- Children Much. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Where is he? We... Does he actually still uh, exist? Uh, he's, he's, in that, he's in a dustbin somewhere liking <laughs> video posts on Instagram of Liverpool goals, I believe. So... But we'll, we'll stay away from Jordan much because my blood pressure probably doesn't need it. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your starting midfield this weekend, Nick? I'm, I'm talking the centre three, obviously. So it's going to be Ledley, MacArthur and Punchin without any shadow of a doubt. And like, mm. if it was me, I'd be pushing Kabai on a little bit further, just just behind Benteke. I've got, uh, I know we're doing the midfield, but I actually have, I'm going to voice a concern 
and yeah. something that we've not spoken about, okay, before, and I've got a little bit of a concern. It's in my head, and it's been in my head for a couple of weeks now about Benteke. Benteke, if you think about his goals he's scored so far, okay, has scored, was it three from his head? Nothing yeah, from yeah. his feet, okay. Because of the system that we're playing, he's playing with his back to goal, okay, receiving the ball on from the midfield, okay. Um, I'm concerned that he's not getting the right service because he's playing with his back to goal, hence why he hasn't scored anything with his feet. Uh, your, your thoughts, boys? Well, I work with a Liverpool season ticket holder and he said to me, it's one of Ben Teke's probably only weaknesses he's scoring with his feet. He actually said to me, if Benteke can work out how to beat a goalkeeper when he's used, when he's through one-on-one, and if you think about it, he's finished against Leicester, looked far from convincing when he sort of tried to flick it over. Casper Schmeichel didn't go down, and even if he had gone down, he probably didn't have enough power to reach the goal. He said to me, with full, fully, fully genuine, said if he can work out how to put those chances away on a regular basis, he becomes one of the top ten strikers in the world because yeah, he has everything to his game. Right. Um, yeah. It's a good point, Terence. But do you remember the goal he scored against us when he was at Villa when he ran past Scott Dan and went one on one with I guess it was Speroni and scored. So he can do it. I mean, <laughs> that, he just hasn't learned it for us. Fine. That was very kind to Scott Dan there, run past him. I think he mugged him of the ball first as well. <laughs> yeah, well, I bet too. It's a great but point. No, it, it, no it's, it's, it's totally right. He did. It, that was the perfect sort of finish. He, you know, used, right. the, used the angle, used the defender, bend it around and so on. But it's not, it's not consistent enough. It's not to say that he can't do it right. on the odd occasion, but consistently you can find it. And, you know, I'm hearing that from a Liverpool season to get older, who goes to every game, watches every game, and... He period there wasn't deemed to be that successful. That's a very very encouraging thing to hear that we could have that sort of play on our hands. From this is someone who talks knowing about football, so I'm very very encouraged. Uh, I'm I'm not going to worry yet, Nick. <laughs> I think I think he's done enough to show us that uh, he he's gonna he's gonna be a big time player for us. If you like the. The chance he created both of our goals, helped create both our goals, uh, along with Dejan Lovren for the first one. But just his power, you know, to, to get that flick on to Wilfred Zaha for the James MacArthur goal, it was very, um, it suits our style of play, when we're, both when we're under pressure and when we're not, when we're trying to build. So he can play both aspects of that game. So I'm, I'm, I'm not overly worried yet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to finish off what you asked me just a minute ago. Sorry. And I, and, and I did digress, so I do apologise. That's all right. Um, Ledley out, Lee out, obviously, punching in and uh, Townsend back in. Mm. Let's touch on Townsend. I haven't, um, I didn't put him into my sort of points here that I was going to talk about. But what have we thought of in the last few games, Patrick? Disappointing. Um, when he first got here, I was uh, reticent. I didn't. I wasn't overly effused about him coming because I, you know, I've, I've seen him play. I've actually, I followed him. I followed him, you know, on all these different, um, you know, longs that he does. And and uh, you know, he was he was really good last year at Newcastle, even though they went down. He was the best best player they had. But I've always been a little concerned because he really, if you watch him, he really only likes to play on one side of the field. He's that perfect player. He's left-footed. He likes to just cut in on from the right to the left. He just does it all the time. So when I heard that quote-unquote rumor, but one well, rumor actually, just the quote from Pardew that he asked to play on on the right side, which was weird because we actually swap our wingers on a regular basis. We did it with Blasi. We did it with him and Zaha. So I'm disappointed, and, and he takes a lot of shots, and I think that's a good thing. But <laughs> he doesn't really look to pass when he really can slip somebody in, 
And mm. I, it's only been 10 games, well, for him, nine and a half games, I guess. And so I'm willing to give him a bit of a chance. But I'm really concerned that, you know, already nine games in, he's getting, you know, benched by the manager because he's had a preference where he wants to play. And he really hasn't produced anything besides that one goal against um, Stoke. So mm. I'm hoping that it will come good. But I'm a little concerned because let's, let's be honest, in the past, he hasn't settled anywhere he's been for any amount of time, you know, bar Newcastle. Even at, New, at Tottenham, where you know where he burst on the England scene, he really didn't settle into that side. So I think he can he can come good. We need him to come good, but I'm really concerned that there isn't somebody behind him to push him a little bit more. I've always made that comment like I've always been a big three wing person. If one's not two aren't doing it, I mean if one isn't doing it. You got the other two. You can kind of rotate. We had it with Punchin and Balassi when Punchin playing wide and Zaha. We had it with uh, Ince and Balassi and Zaha. We don't have it now because Sacco's not up to it. So I think I think that. He needs to have someone pushing him, otherwise he'll get a little bit complacent. So hopefully he'll come good though soon. Yeah, I mean against a sort of rigid Burnley setup, I think we're going to need someone with Townsend's movement in around the area yeah, and to let shots off, let some shots off from range. So hopefully he can find form. Talking about Burnley, let's um, <clears throat> move away from Palace and after the next jingle, we'll have Jack from Longside London and he's going to talk to us about Burnley's season so far. Get in touch with the show. All of our contact details can be found at holradio.net forward slash contact. Right, we are now joined by Jack from London Longside, our Burnley fan. Jack, thank you for joining us, mate. No worries. Thanks for having me. That's all right. You must be um, feeling pretty pretty good at the moment. That's quite a good start to the season you've had there. Yeah, I mean... uh... Looking back to last weekend, I don't think many people had us down to draw with United. Um, obviously, they've had their problems uh, on the pitch this season. They started well and then and then sort of have fallen away recently. Uh, but no, I mean, Heaton was incredible for us last weekend. And he's been like that for every game pretty much this season. Uh, I was at the Southampton game we had a few weeks ago. And we lost 3-0 when he was our best player on the pitch. You know, it's quite, you know, it's amazing when, when that sort of thing happens. Uh, but no, overall, yeah, really chuffed. Yeah, it's been it's been a good start. That's for you. It's like you've read my notes. My next point was Tom Heaton. Is he really as good as everybody's saying he is? Yeah, <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, he's a uh, he's a bit of a freak, really. Um, how can I put it into words? You know, against United, what was it thirty-seven saves? It was thirty-seven shots they had. The, the one off Ebra, I still I'm still waiting for the for the net to bulge. I don't know how he kept that out, but he's. Um, yeah, it's amazing. And bearing in mind, we got him for for pennies from a team that got relegated from from the championship. It's it's quite quite remarkable, really. Yeah. So Sean Dyche, uh, you showed faith in him there. A lot of manager um, boards might have got rid of him after the relegation, maybe thinking that he doesn't have the ideas. Um, mm. what, what, what's he changed this time around? I don't, it's difficult to say, really. I feel like the players have a bit more confidence um last time when we came up we didn't we i don't think we added to the team particularly well we bought well we bought people that didn't really do anything i think we've got marvin sordell we got uh i think we got yukovic so we didn't have a great um uh transfer window whereas this year we've bought goodmanson who's started slowly but he's really come into it recently um jeff hendrick he's you know he's only played a handful of games but he's he's been solid and Stephen DeFore has been class. He's one of the best players I've seen in a Burnley shirt for a long, long time. Um, so, yeah, I think we're better equipped this year with the players. And coming up as champions, I think that, that helps us massively as well. 
Okay, but what what I sort of remembered from the last season that you were in the Premier League, mm. Dyche sort of run his players into the ground a little bit. So do you fear that sort of come January, February time, it's players are going to be a bit knackered? Is there enough depth there to deal with a long season? There is. I still think we need to. I still think we need a couple of midfielders come January. Uh, I'd like to see us with a couple of new wingers. Um, but I mean, it's one of those. A lot of people say, you know, how, how can Burnley keep it up? How can they? keep up that intensity because we do you know like you said we run but we still do it we run you know and we pressure teams a lot and there's a lot of running with that you know when, when Burnley are involved but we, we did it last year in the championship um we you know we kept up that intensity and actually we didn't we didn't lose a game from from boxing day to the end of the season we went 23 undefeated um so I'm not too concerned obviously the the, the Premier League's a different different league and it's much more intense in the championship, but yeah, I'm not too not too concerned about that. But okay. only time will tell. So you've mentioned Stephen Defoe there is a great signing. Is that is that the one we should be looking out for the most this weekend? Yeah, I mean he missed the United game um, through injury, so I'm not 100 percent if he'll be back. Uh, there's a few yeah. players. There's a few players that are, I mean, obviously, like we mentioned, Heaton. Um, you now, hopefully, he won't be as busy. From a Burnley perspective, as he was against United, he won't. He won't be. Yeah, well, <laughs> you never know. Um, but I think our, both our centre backs, Keane and me, um, they'll be ones to watch. Uh, you know, Michael Keane, he's he's getting interest from Chelsea, United are interested in him, so he's one to watch. Um, good young, solid English centre half, uh, and then obviously Andre Gray coming back after his um, after his ban. He's quick. He's got. He's strong and he's got a he's got a good eye for goals, so he's another one to keep an eye out for, definitely. But he's got terrible banter on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Well, the worst wait, thing wait, about wait, wait, go on. <laughs> well, I say the worst thing about it is uh, when those tweets came out, sort of in between the terrible tweets, he had a he had one that sort of said how much he loved Justin Bieber, and I, I think <laughs> if the FA saw that, that's all automatic sort of eight match ban really. So I'm glad that slipped through the net. Right, talking about um, from a Palace perspective, who who do you worry about the most? Um, probably Zaha. I think his pace pace is something we we do struggle with, um, and uh, when he's up against, he'll be up against Stephen Ward, our our, um, our defender, and I've seen him struggle a lot with pace this season and even last season in the Championship. So I think if they get in one on one situations, he could be in trouble. Um, ben Teke is another one. I mean, you, you look at a similar player in the, in the sense that he's a strong centre forward, similar to Zlatan. You saw how many chances he got at the weekend. Mm. Um, and realistically, we can't be relying on Tom Heaton to, to pull off a performance like that every week because, you know, we're not going to stay up like that. So mm. they're two players I'm always, always concerned about. Okay, well, we'll just end on a little prediction. What, what do you fancy for this weekend? Well, I know you guys have had it tough recently, and Turf Moor is definitely a difficult place to come. Um, I mean, I'll never be allowed back on Turf Moor if I say anything less than a 2 1 win for Burnley. <laughs> one win for Burnley, yeah. mate. Um, I, 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 we get onto our predictions a little bit after we finish talking to you. I'm, I'm, I'm not overly confident. I, I fancy your boys this weekend. Well, fingers uh, crossed, <laughs> <laughs> or not. Yeah, look, thank, yeah. you so, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us, Jack. And uh, we'll be in contact later in the season to talk to you again, pal. No worries. Thanks for having me.
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Homestel Radio Preview Podcast, sponsored by FanDuel.co.uk. The next generation of fantasy football. Right, it's now prediction time of the show. I've got a few in from Twitter this week. We've got 1905 Frankie has gone for 5-1. I he didn't distinguish which way that was going. Could be either. Um, at CPFC, Pete has gone for 2-1. Now, he didn't distinguish either, but his name is hashtag Pardew out, so I assume he means a home win for Burnley. At Ebenezer Good has gone for 3-2 to Palace. Nick Halton, 2-1 to Burnley. And at I Deserve a Beer, a win. I don't care how or by how much, just three points, please. And I think many of us can get behind that. Uh, before I get the predictions off you two guys, Patrick and Nick, I will hit you with some stats. This will be the... The 35th league meeting between the two sides. Uh, we've only got nine wins of those, 13 draws and 12 losses. What's our biggest win, guys? You should know this. 5-0, isn't it? So, there you go. <laughs> Silence. 5-0 is correct in 2008 on the final game of the season to get us into the playoffs. Yep. And Burnley have beaten us 4-2 twice, which is in 69 and 2009. Crystal Palace have lost just one of the last six against Burnley in the league with three wins and two draws. In those last six matches, Palace have twice come from 2-0 down to win the game, to win 3-2 in the Premier League a couple of seasons ago and 4-3 in the promotion season. Anthony Taylor will be the referee for this one, and this is great news for Palace fans at last. Taylor has officiated seven Palace matches, and we've lost just once, which was the first time that he refed us in a 3-1 defeat at Anfield. Since then, we are unbeaten in the last six, winning five of those. However, three of those wins have come against Sunderland. So take from that what you will. Uh, predictions, Nick, what, what, what are you going for this week? Well, you know I'm pretty solid on my predictions and I'm going <laughs> to shock you all. Okay, This will be a 3-0 win. Benteke, Benteke, Benteke will score two, and Townsend will come back, be really peed off that uh, he was dropped. Okay, he'll come back and get his score a screamer for us. Wow, Patrick, I'm assuming a different, slightly different tone from you. No, you know what? I actually was going to go with a draw, but your Anthony Taylor um, stat, which is brilliant, I'm going to change it. I'm going to go two nil Palace. I think we actually get our first clean sheet of the year, and I'm going to go with. Benteke and my least favorite player on the team right now, Johan Kabay, to finally get a, to finally prove that I'm an idiot and he's a great player and it will win 2-0. <laughs> wow. 
Wow. Okay. Um, I'm going for one nil, and I'll, to them. And I'm assuming George Boyd still plays for him, so he'll probably he score it on the bench. He was the bench last week. Yeah. He won't. He yeah. won't even make it on the. He won't because you know how blind he is. He won't even be able to make it on the pitch, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I don't think you need eyesight to score past our defence at the moment. So. <laughs> you know who won't score, right? Bamford. He better not score. <laughs> is he still playing for him? Yeah, he's on the bench last week, yeah. Playing, 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 playing is a questionable word, yeah. Right, next up, uh, (laughs) I didn't put it to the vote this week, a classic match. Uh, Last week, the controversy of Chris Dambul beating the FA Cup semi-final win over Liverpool was too much for me to take on Twitter. I couldn't deal with another week's worth of abuse from the older section of our listeners. So this week, I said that we're going to do the 1979 Two 0 win against Burnley that saw us clinch the Division Two title ahead of Brighton and go up to Division One, and be excited. We've got very, very two special, two very special guests joining us for the discussion. Got something you'd like to get off your chest? Tweet us now at Whole Radio. Right, so now's the time in the show where we talk about our classic match, and we have one of the all-time Palace classics here. It's 11th of May, 1979, and it's Crystal Palace looking for victory to climb up to Division 1. And joining me, Patrick and Nick, we have a very, very exciting guest. We have Ian Walsh, scorer the first goal that day. Welcome, Ian. Uh, hi, how are you guys? All right? How you doing, yeah. Ian? W- welcome to the show, mate. Yeah, it really is a privilege. Thanks very much. Mate, um, I'm, I was only born in 1982, so I obviously missed this. Uh, the, the other two chaps, one was at the game and one was uh, gone to a lot of games that season. So I'll just start off before those two weighed in with a couple of questions. But how did how did you get that much power on that header? Well, I'd, I'd been practicing for a while. You know, I was um, that was more my strength than anything else, and uh, I'd been practicing for a while. You know. And when you've got great wide players like Vinny Allaire, you know, putting the, the ball across to you, I think the pace was in the cross more than my power. I just had to get the accuracy on it. And fortunately, it was one of my all-time favourite goals, you know, to score a goal just inside the penalty box in the top corner in such a massive game. It took the pressure of everybody. And, uh, yeah, I, can, I could relive that as if it was yesterday. And what was what was the noise like? Because it's still to this day Crystal Palace's record attendance at Sellers Park, which is you know maybe unlikely ever to be broken. But it must have been quite a noise. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I've still got pictures uh, of. Um, I, th- I think it would have been the Holmesdale Road end uh, when it was all standing, or possibly it was the other end. I don't. I can't remember back in the day, but uh, it was amazing. You know, we scored. You know, fifty-two thousand in there. I think four or five thousand couldn't get in on a night. Uh, I brought loads of family up from South Wales and, uh, you know, it was one one real right night to remember. It certainly was. One of the nights that I wish I could have been at. But Nick, you, you were there. Um, have you got any questions for Ian? Ian, uh, first of all, thanks for that goal. But um, I don't know if uh, anybody's ever told you, but you actually owed me a pair of Dr. Martin boots that <laughs> night. When, oh. that he- when, that, when that header went in, okay, I yeah. got crushed, okay? And my brand new leather Dr. Martin boots got torn by the crowd, okay? And I hold you personally responsible. But <laughs> it was worth every penny of it. Well, but it just just send send me the bill in the post, uh, <laughs> Wales, and you might get an answer. So, so I've got to ask you no, about... It, the... it, 
I've got to ask you about the build-up to the game. Uh, there's two conflicting crowd sizes. It said 51,800 and 51,400. I know the doors were locked on that night, uh, probably by about six o'clock. What was it like in the change rooms, knowing full well that it was going to be that sort of size crowd? Well, we knew the importance of the game. You know, I think it was literally if, if we, we win, we go up as champions. And I think we possibly, even if we drew the game, it might not have been good enough. So the pressure was on, and uh, for the final few games of the season, you know, um, Terry Venables took us away to a hotel, and sort of we had a bit of lunch. We trained in the morning, had a bit of lunch, and then sort of all relaxed in in sort of bedrooms throughout the afternoon. And um, when we got to the ground, it was just unbelievable. You know, it's the tightest place to get to anyway, Sellers Park. But trying to get our coach literally a couple of miles from the hotel down to the ground was unbelievable you know we were just having everybody was tapping it was all very friendly tapping the bus wishing us good luck we got in there and it was just a relief to get out of the coach and into the changing room and then we all obviously went out to have a look at the pitch as you do as a, as a professional just to see what sort of studs you might wear but that's the adrenaline amongst all the players you'd look into the people's eyes there you know the the great team that we had from you know John Burridge at the back Jimmy Cannon Billy Gilbert Kenny Sansom you know Peter Nicholas Swindy Dave Swindlers up front and and countless more Terry I could go through them all Paul Hinshelwood Terry Fennick you know Jerry Murphy all absolutely top class players at the time and I think there was just a silence in the changing room and a confidence really because we knew we had the best defensive record we struggled a bit to score goals in that season but the defenders and, and the goalkeeper were phenomenal for us but you know and then all of a sudden about half an hour before kickoff we were down in the changing room we could hear the buzz building up in the ground and uh, you know and when we actually went out to start the game it was just unbelievable you couldn't hear your teammates screaming at you it was that it was that emotional it was that uh, frantic and and uh, to this day as i said i you know the reason why i've come on your show is because i remember it like it was yesterday and uh, even though one of you guys there wasn't born at the time <laughs> well you say um we struggled to score goals that season it's quite amazing that a team can go up as champions scoring only 51 times in 42 games so at half-time being nil-nil and getting on into the second half, was, was there any worry that the goal wasn't going to come? Um, well, obviously there, there was worry and it was sort of my job and, and Dave Swindlers and Vince Hilaire. They were, you know, we were the three sort of goal scorers, if you like, and a couple from midfield. Um, but, you know, there, there was a worry and we played against Burnley and one of my great uh, mates in football is a lad called Leighton James who played for Burnley and he was a Welsh international player. And I'll change the words slightly. As we trotted onto the pitch the start of the second half, he said to me, Walshy, if we go one up, you'll crap yourself. <laughs> and I said, you most probably will. And so I've changed a couple of words. But, of course, when that cross came in and I managed to get the perfect connection on it and it sailed into the roof of the net, the pressure was completely taken off because we knew we had the defence that would uh, keep a clean sheet. So even though it was a bit tentative and then Swindy got a, a second goal in the game to, to relieve all the tension, it was just unbelievable. One of the best nights, uh, you know, I played three, four hundred league games, different clubs. I played international football. I'll tell you that that is right up there, the atmosphere that night. And to be able to, to help Palace win the game and get promotion was unbelievable. Well, what was I always like about this as well and going on to become the team in the 80s so-called and 
is that it was home built. And um, Patrick, you wanted to ask about sort of the youth system around that time. Yeah, yeah, no, it's Patrick here. Um, I uh, unfortunately, um, I moved to the states uh, about a month before that match. I'd been to almost every home match that year, but the year before, I got to see you, you know, all the youth players, Nicholas, Fennick, Billy Gilbert, come through the system. As question, um, did you get to play in the any of the FA Cup youth finals those that we won those two years? Yeah, yeah, we we did. We won. Um, you, you'll have to, uh, you know, the, the big games I can remember. You know, right. even though we won the the FA Youth Cup, we did win it with that team, and right. we won it a year ahead of our time. <laughs> so that was the nature of, uh, you know, how how good those players were. And as, as you said, there was Kenny. Kenny Sansom was arguably the top player amongst the lads. It was Billy Gilbert, Peter Nicholas, myself. You know, uh, Jerry Murphy. Jerry Murphy, Vincent, right. Uh, you know, all these guys were all, all you know, went on to play at least under 21 or full international football. So, um, and Terry Venables, you know, did a great job. You know, he, he brought a lot of the young players and, and Malcolm Allison, to be fair, to, before him, you know, signed a lot of the young players. When these, we, we were going to Crystal Palace in the old second division or third division. Right. And, you know, I had Man United after me, I had um, Aston Villa after me, I had a lot of other clubs, as did Kenny. Kenny could have gone to Tottenham, Arsenal, Vince could have gone to Chelsea. You know, but we all, for some reason, joined Crystal Palace, and, um, and it, was, it was the start of, of something quite unique. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll just add that um, the one thing I've always loved about being a passport is, is seeing those youth <laughs> players come through again. I got to, I was very lucky back in those late 70s to see you guys come through, and it's something I've always loved to see local players come through. So thanks for that again. Pleasure. Uh, um, and Ian, so I was having a little look through your Twitter today, and I saw your, your kids in, is it your kids in padded shirts or your grandchildren in padded shirts? <laughs> You've been following me. That's my grandson. Oh, yeah. very nice. Uh, my, my son... His first football kit was a Palace uh, kit, and uh, I, I've got to say, it brought a tear to my eye when when he came home. You know, so they had all, obviously my son had sent his sister, my daughter, a kit, and Charlie was there uh, in the kit in the back garden, just knocking a ball about. Great stuff. That's fantastic. Look, Ian, thank you so much for joining us. We'll let you get back off to your holiday in sunny Tenerife. Is it sunny out there? It is. It's brilliant. It's about just under thirty, guys. So. Uh, not jealous at all there, mate. Thank you for that. Cheers, Ian. Hey, listen, guys, it's, it's, it's been a privilege uh, coming on your, your show, and uh, I always follow the Palace results, and good luck to everybody up there, okay? Fantastic, thank you. Thank you. Bless you, Ian. Thank you. Every picture tells a story. Keep up to date with ours on Instagram at Homestale Radio. Right, and now we have another special guest joining us on this preview podcast. I can't quite believe it. Uh, we've just you've just heard from Ian Walsh, and now we've got the man that provided him with a cross, Mr. Vince Hilaire. Thank you so much for joining us, Vince. No worries at all. Right, so it's what, 1979. Does it does it feel just like yesterday, or <laughs> was is it a while ago? In my, in my mind, it does, but my body will say different. But um, <laughs> no, I've, I've, I think I've seen the goal more times than that uh, on my my various returns to um, Selhurst and on uh, YouTube and. Um, on different uh, different social media sites, I've seen the goal quite a few times from, from particularly from Palace fans who um, who were there. I mean, I, I, they said it was fifty odd thousand there, but I think it was more there. I think I've met one hundred and fifty thousand <laughs> fans that were actually at the game. So, yeah. so 
Right, you've, the game's the game's gone on. We've got we've got uh, was it fourteen odd minutes before the end of time. When when you put that cross in, do you think Walshy's got that finishing in? Yeah, well, I think the thing about Walshy, Walshy was you know wasn't a particularly big guy, but he had a great um, great spring. And um, between him and Swindy, I think um, uh, Mickey Elwes. Uh, started the season but um he got a bad injury around about October time and then Walshy came in and did a did a great job up front with Twindy um till the end of, end of the season and, and I think most of the most of my time was taken up in training and after training with Swindy and Walshy actually saying to me am I ever going to get a crossing in a game <laughs> <laughs> during the course of the season and uh, my, I always had the same reply to him, and my reply was, uh, I didn't know um, what an end product product was. I was an entertainer, and, and crossing <laughs> was very low down on my priority. And, uh, <laughs> so so uh, I thought at that time I might as well get get one in. That's what I'm stuck out in the wind for. So uh, if you get if you get a ball in the box, particularly in in Walsh's case, because he was a tremendous player in the air, then he's likely to get on the end of it. And it was, I think, it was probably. The, only, the first cross I got in the game in 40 minutes from time. It's a bit sad, really, for a wide player. <laughs> would, would you mind crossing to Christian Benteke these days? Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've watched uh, a few of the Palace games and um, watched Saturday. It's it's a bit of a it's it's a bit of a strange one for Christian Benteke because um, Palace are not so direct in their in their game now, and um, yet they've got a a centre-forward who probably thrives on being involved all the time. You know, you get some players that, if, you, if they're out of the game for, for long periods, their minds, mind tends to wander. And someone like Christian Benteke could give that, that impression. You know, it looks like he's not um, bothered or not uh, uh, on the ball. But it's, it's probably because the, the Palace build-up now is a, is a lot more, there's a lot more stuff that goes from the back to the midfield and out wide and maybe trying to get Christian Betzaka to come short and uh, it just takes some adjusting. I think he he probably, when he signed for Palace, he probably thought he was signing for the Palace team of, of last season that was a little bit more direct and uh, not for the Palace team that played play the stuff through the middle of the park like, like Liverpool. That's probably one of the reasons why he thought he would be attracted to leave Liverpool and not, and not stay there and come to Palace. <laughs> Uh, I certainly think he'll score goals this season. But anyway, let's get let's get back to 1979. Uh, you said there was there was definitely over 50,000 people there that night. I think the official attendance was around 51.4 um, people there. Will swear there was over 60,000 people there. What what was the noise like when that goal went in? It, you know, it, it was it was phenomenal. It was a phenomenal night, um, and it was I think. It wasn't such a big roar. I think more it was more about relief, actually, from the, the fans. I mean, I rem- actually remembering the goal. I do remember it as if it was yesterday. And um, I didn't, I'm usually, because there were so little cameras at, at games in those days, I was usually, if a goal was scored and the cameras were there, I was usually one of the first there, whether I was involved in it or not, just so I could get on the TV. Um, <laughs> but it was, um, it, it was uh, such a relief to score. I couldn't be bothered for once in my life, to run over to Walshy, so I just turned around to uh, to Fish, Paul Incherwood, and uh, we just cuddled each other, and I said, I think we've we've done it this time, Fish, and uh, he <laughs> said, yeah, so um, that, 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 was a, that was the most abiding memory, and the relief from the fans was, was great, and, I'm, and you know what, it was, it, anyone who was there, it was, you know, it was easily not, 
50,000. You know, you could add another five or 6,000 onto that. It was just a, just showed you really at the time. I mean, at the, at the time, we didn't consider ourselves um, anywhere anywhere near like the poor relations in London. We we consider ourselves certainly on a on a par with um, with Chelsea and and probably on a par with Tottenham, even in even in that division. So, uh, and we knew that we were you know that just showed us running out that night that we were at a big club, one of the biggest in London. Um, so. You know, all things considered, it was a pretty memorable night. Um, you was calling Paul Hinchelwood fish there. Where, where did that nickname come from? <laughs> <laughs> well, he was very. He, he had a few nicknames for the Palace fans. Uh, the one from the players was fish because he had a, um, again something that wouldn't happen now, but he had a great capacity, a drinking capacity. Um, <laughs> oh, Paul, nice. And um, also on top of that, he was prob- he was probably one of the fittest players in the team, which doesn't bode well for us because. None of the young players at, at, um, at Palace at the time were particularly big drinkers or drinkers for that matter. And um, Fish was still beating us in all the all the uh, the running and the, the training. <laughs> so uh, just shows you what he could have been like without that. But that's what it was basically about okay. Fish. Okay. So how how exciting was it going up to Division One at that time? Because as you say, you saw yourself that you, you belonged there. Was it? It, was it great to actually finally, you know, you were there. You were division. You were in Division One. You were. You were in the. Okay. Did you? Did you guys call it the Promised Land back then? I don't know. Sorry. Sorry. I'm quite young. Well, no, no. Fans <laughs> called it the Promised Land, but the pro- the problem. I think the major problem we we had was that um, there's so many of us that were that were young. I mean, I bumped into Stevie Kemba um, a couple of weeks back. He was he was down watching a game at Portsmouth, which is where I. I think we're just on the outskirts of, of Portsmouth now, and um, talking to Stephen, and he looked, uh, he, he he turned around and said, "You know what?" He said, "I I feel younger now than when I played." He said, "Do it, doing and directing all you youngsters in that, you know, for those couple of seasons that we we played." He said, "Took it out of me." He said, "I aged about fifteen years," and and um, the problem with us is that I think all the stuff that happened to us as young footballers happened far too early, and it would have been good. To understand what from the age of, from about sixteen to to nineteen twenty what it was like to struggle a little bit, but we was always on the we was always on the up till then. So really, what I think what I'm trying to say is a, a lot of the glory times for us at Palace, and particularly myself, was was taken for granted, you know. And um, but you, you know you only know those things from from getting older and you know living your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Vince, it's Patrick here. Um, I'm the one that Hello, moved. Patrick. How are you, Vince? Um, I'm the one that moved oh, I to the States in 79. I was uh, lucky enough that year to go to almost every home match, and then my parents decided yeah. to, to emigrate. And um, I saw you and Walshy and Vin, uh, Kenny and Billy come through the youth team. So it was, yeah. it was wonderful to see you guys do so well. But my question is, I know that we, we by winning that match, we, we pipped our old rivals, Brighton, to the title. How, how great did that yeah. feel? <laughs> oh, it was brilliant! But the, you, you know, it was um, the, the the rivalry with Brighton just just. Uh, I mean, everyone thinks it, go, it goes back. It, I mean, it doesn't, right? Started, I think back in the mid mid seventies, just Rep past the mid seventies. But yep. that's right. When, that, when Alan Mullery was there, I think about nineteen twenty six, the rivalry really started. And that was right. that was more about the the, the managers um, not liking each other, right. and then. Um, uh, Alan Mullery will turn around and say, "Will turn around and say it's nothing to do with that." But it it was, 
And um, it just spread onto the players. And, and Terry Venables made a big thing about any time we played Brighton, uh, we weren't going to we weren't going to um, get beat. We'd do anything <laughs> to, to not get beat. And I, and I think it was about we had about three or four years before Brighton actually turned us over. I think it was one one Christmas or New Year's 79 or 1980. Um, after about five or six, four or five games we played against Brighton, they never beat us and we was always turned them over. And um, I think that was probably one of my saddest days at, at Crystal Palace when they actually beat us. Yeah, mine um, too. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And I think one one abiding memory was uh, they were so happy to be or be in the lead of about fifteen fifteen minutes to go. I remember um, John Gregory, um, the old Aston Villa manager, yes. who was playing for Brighton at the time there. And um, with fifteen minutes to go, they was I think two or three nil up and sitting on the ball. Um, <laughs> and then and on the on the other side of the field, and I remember uh, Fish Paul Winchell would take it off on a 60-yard dash to try and, try and deposit him and the ball into the stand. Oh, that's wonderful. And, uh, just, out the, just out the corner of his side, John Gregory saw it and um, uh, quickly jumped up off the ball and um, cleared it as quick as he could and just put the brakes on. But he was he was after him. And um, it, that was the sort of thing. It wasn't... There was no love lost between the teams, but um, there was a, tin, a tinge of it went out of it when they beat us after about yeah. three or four seasons because... Um, we, I think if we had. I mean, if Palace fans had their way now, they'd probably say that they are their biggest rivals. If you live, if you're from outside the Palace Palace area, Brighton area, honestly, I, you know, I played a, a lot of football from outside the uh, after I left Palace, and they can't understand why they're such yep. big rivals yeah. because of the proximity of the clubs. And I, you try and explain to them, but they. They don't understand. They still don't see it. <laughs> Hi, Vince. Good evening, mate. It's Nick here. I, I'm the guy that was, Hello, at, I was at the game, OK? Um, I've got a couple, Hello, of, a couple of questions for you. Um, sure. Please tell me, uh, Terence alluded to it a minute ago, that obviously we went on and got promoted. Uh, did the team of the 80s label weigh heavily on you guys, OK? And what was life like under the, what turned out to be the future England manager, Terry Venables? Yeah, the, t- the team of the 80s, tag was a bit unfortunate and uh, we the story of that is that we went up to um we had a great start to our campaign in the top top division and we went to um uh, we beat Notts Forest who were European Cup holders at the time and um the following weekend we we uh well we after that game we thought we'd cracked it basically a bunch of young players who thought this is just uh, the easiest thing in the world all we do is keep winning games and We've gone to the top of the league, and uh, who we got next week, Terry? You said Liverpool away. Uh, never played at we've never played at Anfield put up before, but we've beaten the European champions, and um, it can't be so so bad going up to Anfield. We've heard lots about it, and people like Doug Leash and McDermott and seen it's not a problem because we've, like I said, we've just beaten the European champions, and uh, we went up there, and they promptly smacked our backsides, and they could have won ten, and um, it was welcome to the real world then. And yeah. Um, the, when we travelled, well, the reason I told the story is because we travelled up on the the Friday, and there was a, a, a great sports report called Jeff Powell from the Daily Express, who was really good mates with Terry Venables, and um, he went up with us, travelled up with us, spoke to us, listened to Terry Venables and his vision of football, and looked at all these these um, young players that that Terry had, who's who didn't have a care in the world. We were going up to Anfield, but it didn't bother us. We just thought we were going to 
be playing another friendly at Croydon or Bromley. And we treated it like that. And um, unfortunately, that, that phrase was coined on the Saturday morning before the game. Yeah. And uh, it really it should have been the team that played like they were 80, not like the team <laughs> of the 80. <laughs> so uh, it's just an unfortunate tag. And um, the Liverpool boys picked up on it. And you, you, you don't go to... The one thing you do, you don't go to, to places uh, like Anfield against one possibly one of the, the great teams of the, the 20th century, which they were, and um, take the mickey out of them. You, you know, you have to have the right attitude. And football does that to you. You, you haven't got the right attitude or, and you take the mickey out of, of teams or players, it's got a habit of coming back to bite you on the bum. Um, unfortunately, you, you don't learn that until you're a few years in the game. As young yeah. players, you don't. You don't see that, and and with Terry Venables, he was just um, just brilliant. He, you know, anyone that's worked with him, um, he might have his critics. Uh, I, a lot, there's a lot of Palace fans that um, have criticised him because of stuff that happened in his his second spell. That's right. Um, which 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 I find very sad. Not with the fans, I find very sad for Terry because. It, tar- it sort of uh, tarnished um, the great things he had done at that football club. Um, and also tarnished a little bit like with Malcolm Allison because Big Mal bought him now. And um, they were two visionaries. And, uh, you know, I can't speak highly enough about Terry Venables as a football man. I w- and I know I'd never have been a, a footballer without him. Unfortunately, uh, when people ask me, I always say the problem with Terry Venables was that he was just too clever. <laughs> and... He was too clever to the extent where he thought that uh, I'll come away as well and get involved in the, the stuff outside football. And um, there's, there's cleverer people than Terry Venables uh, outside football, uh, yeah. i.e. Um, I'll use Alan Sugar at Tottenham as an example. Um, he's, I live now just outside Portsmouth and Terry Venables' name is Mud uh, at Portsmouth. Um, and he could have quite easily had a great name down at Portsmouth as well because they, they've got a great stand and the atmosphere is brilliant at Bratton Park, but the stand would never have built, been built without Terry Venable's import. But um, he got involved in certain things which the fans have not forgiven him for. And the same with, with um, Palace. So, you know, with Palace and Portsmouth fans, um, I've got great affinity with both sets of fans. And <laughs> funnily enough, there was... They've got great affinity with me, but they've also got great um, uh, dislike for Terry Venables, which I think is really unfair. And I always try and stand Terry's corner with when I bump into to Palace fans and Pompey fans because um, the guy doesn't deserve it. He's the, you know, I can't speak highly enough about his ideas about football and everything else. It might annoy a lot of people to hear that, but that that's you know how I feel. And if you talk to players that have played under him at any club, they'll say exactly the same. And they can't all be wrong, can they? Fantastic. Thank you for that. Great insight. It will be. Look, thank you so much for joining and talking to us about this um, Palace match. Homestyle Radio Preview Podcast. Sponsored by FanDuel.co.uk. The next generation of fantasy football. Right, we're closing in on the end of the show. I know, I know it's been a long one this week, but uh, hopefully listening to um, Ian Walsh and Vince Hilaire there, it was worthwhile. Uh, last week we mentioned that it was the Aussie version of the Robin E. 
Eton Memorial Fund game. Um, I probably shouldn't mention it because the Crystal Palace boys lost 4-2, uh, so we didn't complete the double as the English Palace fans won earlier in the year. But uh, the important thing is that $1,500 was raised for a great cause. So well done to everybody over in Australia there. Personally, I'd like to thank everyone that bought a copy of Flying High in and around the stadium. Uh, it seems to have gone down very well. We appreciate your support. Uh, that will be available online shortly for you to purchase if you were not at the game. Remember to tune in live on Sunday from 8pm for the Burnley Review Show. If you can't listen live, the podcast version of the show will be available shortly after it finishes. This week, Hambo will be your host and he will be joined by Alex Penge, Albert Curley and yours truly. Uh, next week, make sure you head over to the At Whole Radio Twitter account on Tuesday. No, in two weeks time, we have an international break coming up. So in two weeks on Tuesday, head over to the Whole Radio Twitter account to register your vote for the classic match against Manchester City and we will discuss the winner on the preview podcast as always hopefully I don't know how we're going to manage to top this week's one but we will certainly try you can also contact us contact us at the show by emailing previewpodcast at wholeradio.net all that's left for me to do is thank Patrick and Nick thank you guys thank you Terence great job and of course, thank you to Tav for producing. He always has a go at me for not mentioning it, so thank you very much, <laughs> lad. <laughs> uh, two weeks' time to discuss the Man City preview. But before then, let's go to Turfmore and bring back three points. Come on, you Palace. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mate's already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.